On this week's episode of Circles Off, I'm back from Myrtle Beach and from the World Putting League. We'll do a recap of that. We're going to talk a little bit about betting on the postseason versus the regular season, the differences between the two, and the mistakes that most bettors seem to make. And of course, Tweets That Trigger Us is back this week as well. All that and more, Circles Off starts now. Come on, let's go! Welcome to Circles Off, episode number 99 right here on the Circles Off YouTube channel, part of the Hammer Betting Network. This is the real episode 99. I'm an idiot. And last week I said it was episode 99. It wasn't. It was number 98. So we're not going to do the whole player numbers thing again as much as everybody loves that. I know that they do. We won't rehash that. But it's Rob Pizzola here, joined by Johnny from Betstamp. Johnny, how's it going? Very good, Rob. You are back from Myrtle Beach. We had an unbelievable episode where we broke down everything World Putting League last week. You actually did it. You went there. And by did it, I mean you played in the tournament. Yes. Not that you made the cut, but you did the damn thing. How was it? I uh, I had a blast. I told them when I left, I'm like, any event in the future, I'm here. Obviously, it's got to make monetary sense for me. I'm just going to say that out there because, you know, I, it, it, I spend days there and whatever. I brought back a little souvenir, which was the ball I played with, the World Putting League official ball very different than an actual golf ball you get used to it over time but it was honestly one of the best experiences of my life and I know some people are gonna like they're gonna laugh they're gonna sit there and they'll be like this guy saying like playing in a mini golf tournament was the best I had a couple days to practice I took it very seriously I really 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 badly wanted to make the cut and moreover I know that an offshore sports book had matchups between myself Andy Molitor and Jeff Feinberg. I wanted to beat them badly as well. So I did my best. It is hard, man. Like it's it's way harder. And and I'm not I'm not just saying this because I missed the cut. I didn't play my best. I probably could have done better, but it is you're at such a fundamental disadvantage when you don't and haven't played these courses before, essentially. And you just can't learn everything in two days. And even then, you practice at like 5 p.m. one day, but your tea time is at 10.41 a.m. And the course plays completely different. It's like you're playing something you've never even played before. So I had a blast. And uh, I hope that this league really picks up because the people are great. And I think it's so conducive to betting. Like you guys did the live stream on Hammer HQ, which I watched afterwards, the live watch along. And there's betting options on every hole, total holes and holes in one for different holes, matchups, things like that. Like to me, this is extremely, extremely conducive to betting in like a recreational way for fun where you can, you know, follow along. And I, I don't know, I, I, I've spent a lot of time talking about this, but it was, it was great. Like it was just so fun. I can imagine it was a, a blast being there. Obviously, yeah, we recorded the live stream. We watched along. I will say it has a lot of potential for the betting, but I don't think it's there yet. I think uh, we need to maybe need a little consulting session with a couple of the execs over at the uh, the World Putting League there because it's great to bet on and it's a lot of fun, but it's hard to actually follow your bets while watching that live stream. It's kind of all over the place and there's no like leaderboard or anything like that. You don't really know where we're going. Um, I truly think it would be a lot better if you were like guaranteed that the bet you took was going to be at least at some point televised during the stream. Um, you know, we didn't even really get, if you watch the highlight, me and, uh, you know, another one of the hammer creators, Alex Moretto, um, he, we were on the live stream and 
I had um I had taken him for some serious COV in a couple of bets, so I threw him a courtesy bet, which was like you said you were gonna hit a hole in one on hole one and it was possible. And we saw a lot of people were missing. So it was obviously it, it was an underdog for you to hit the hole in one, I think, on one. And um, you know, I gave Moretto just a regular bet there, courtesy bet, even odds that Rob would hit the first putt. And you were supposed to tee off. I think it was like 10, 40 something in the morning. And here we are sitting. It's like almost closer to 11 now. We're like, oh, we just missed it. Like, there's no way. It just, we're, it's done. We were trying to check. We were, we were, you know, going through. And if you watch the stream, you'll see it. And then randomly, we we kind of got you halfway through the putt. Yeah. I'm like, this is wrong. And he hit it. We all went nuts. He hit. He did hit the hole in one. Cash the courtesy bet. The chat was electric. But um, I really do think if you could actually be guaranteed that the bets are going to be um, televised, that would be a lot better. So something like, you know, let's say they're going to follow these three or four groups for the first four or five holes, and then they switch over to a new group, new grouping. Then you can have bets on all of those, and then you don't have to worry about, um, you know, you missing your bet. There's no leaderboard. It's not like PGA where you can just check the whole matchups and see the shot tracker. Right. So uh, I, I chatted with with uh, members of the World Putting League and the Pro League Network who who helped put on this event, and I think a lot of points you made are valid. So the one about the leaderboard being on the screen, the challenge with that is that you have an unofficial scorer at every hole. So your rules official is basically following you around. You get assigned a rules official at, you know, when you tee off and they follow you through the whole thing and then they put in the scores at the end of the hole. The problem is if you watch golf on TV, like the PGA Tour, you can say with 100% certainty that those are the real scores. So when you go to live bet that event, you know that those are the actual scores in real time. Here, there's no double check happening or anything like that. So they don't want to have a live leaderboard up all the time just in case something is wrong and then somebody uses that to go and place a live bet because they don't want to be like, oh, you know, I placed a live bet with this and that. So they do need to figure that out. But I will say like the budget for this event is very small and I was very impressed with what they were able to accomplish with that. Like they they condensed it to one day instead of two days so they don't have to pay the, the you know, the, the camera crew and the TV trucks and whatever for the two days instead of one. And that creates... I think some inherent challenges. So what you're talking about, and I watch back the broadcast afterwards, um, when I'm on the course at 1041, I think I'm the fifth group that's teed off or the fourth. By the time I get to like the sixth or seventh hole, everybody's on the course all at once. So now you have these, the entire group of people and you don't have enough cameras to cover every single person, right? And while I know a lot of people tuned in to see me play and Jeff play and Andy play, there's actually a lot of people tuning into the actual broadcast on worldputtingleague.com that want to see the actual golfers play. So you got to try to balance it as best as possible. But for what they're working with, and the, considering this is the second televised tournament that they've had, I think it's in a good spot. Certainly they can do things to to make it bigger and better in, in, uh, in the future. But... I mean, I'm, I was just insanely impressed with the quality of putters. Like, it it sounds dumb, but you need to know where to putt the ball and you need to execute. And it's kind of like a 50-50. And some of these guys, like the guy who originally showed me the entire course when I got in there that day, he won the tournament. His name is Joey Grabeel. And he shot, an eight, he shot a 28 in the final round. He shot an 8-under, which is like, honestly, if you play that course, you would, it, it's it feels almost impossible to shoot a score like that. And he holding one 
holes that they, they're not even considered holeable holes, which is even more absurd. And I, I really do think that it, it, it can blow up. Like, I, I, I'm obsessed with it, but I do think that these guys have enough character that you, you saw the guy in the pink pants on the stream, right? Rainy. Oh, yeah. He won the U.S. Open the next, the, the two-day event following, Friday, Saturday. That guy's actually a scratch golfer from Houston, Texas. I was talking to him the day before he flew out, he shot a 63. Like, he's a legitimate great golfer and putter, and he knows the course. There's just no one that's going to compete with that. Like, as much as I wanted to make a cut or whatever, it's just so hard. And the field this time around, relative to the first event that they had, is, was just a, a lot better, frankly. Because so many people watch the first event, and they want to be on TV. So they actually only had 36 spots for this event. And I think they got something like 93 applications, and they actually had to pick and choose who was going to play. So there's more demand for it now. But from a betting side... You know, even uh, even the offshore bookmaker that that had it up, right? Uh, Bet online, Adam Burns from Bet Online um, reached out, who posted, and he's just like, "Wow, this got like a ton of handle, ton of handle," and like, perfect. This, yeah, this this goes to show what can happen um, if some of the regulated books start catching on. Bet Fred posted, DraftKings posted as well, and we're working with Pinnacle now, potentially getting odds posted in Ontario, and of course, Pinnacle is the world's sharpest sports book and now available to everyone in Ontario. Find out what pro bettors have known for decades. Pinnacle is where the best bettors play. You must be 19 plus in Ontario. Please play responsibly. Not available to those in the U.S. So we got to get those odds up on Pinnacle for sure there because if we can get something like, and I don't even care about the full tournament odds because it's a, it's a, like a more of a futures bet. It's tough to watch, but individual whole scores for the stuff that's going to be on TV, like... You know, Joey Graybeal, hole in one, yes, no on hole eight. Yep. And then you just make sure so that that's like a feature bet and maybe you put 30 or 40 feature bets and then you just make sure that that one's always going to be televised. So then it, it'll like, even before he steps up, it, it'll maybe say on the broadcast, Joey Graybeal, hole eight this is a feature bet. Yep. He's going off at this. So it's this likely to make it. Let's see if he can come through for the betters. And then you do something like that. Um, I think that's a direct tie-in which is even better than most of the gambling coverage in time across the, you know, more popular major league sports. Agreed. I mean, it's got to happen. And um, I think it will eventually. Another thing that people don't realize, right, is until you actually walk that course, it's a logistical nightmare to get cameras around there and like have people on their feet moving around. Like you're stepping through rocks. You have to cross what rocks, you have to cross water. and And so they do have to figure it out with like some stationary cameras and stuff like that. I think some holes just had complete blind spots because I would get up there and I'd realize there's no cameras around or they couldn't make it over to film. So they, they do have to do that. But overall, um, I think I think it was a pretty fun event. I actually loved joining the broadcast afterwards as well. So when my round was done, I realized I missed the cut. Second round's underway. They asked me to join the actual broadcast of the event with Brian Catrick. Brian Catrick is the host of PGA Radio. And um, my God, like, first of all, the knowledge that this guy must be have been around the mini golf scene and doing this for a long time because he knows he can he can just see, you know, a a, a video and know exactly what hole it is, what the player is, whatever doesn't need anything said over 15 years, 15 years. Yeah, he he is a legit pro. And like working alongside someone like that was actually amazing. 
Like this is someone who I have a, I have a content background. Like I started in radio, but I never took journalism in school. You can tell like how in the moment this is with this guy understanding everything about the broadcast. So they have like a panic button or um, some will call it a talk back, but a button you can basically press that mutes you from going out to the broadcast, but everyone in the production truck can hear you. Right. And he's just dictating the shots the whole time. It's like, do not commit to this shot. This guy is going to take a minute and a half to figure out where, do not commit. We will be stuck here. Do not, do not commit. Go here, go there, go there, go there. And like the level of sophistication that guy had was absurd. And, um, you know, it it was great working alongside someone like that. Like just like a pure, like it felt like a professional broadcast. Like it really did. It looked like it too on the, on the, the actual stream that they posted on the website and then on our stream as well. I loved it. It was a great time. So just to recap, Rob, you went, did you miss the cup? by was it two strokes, three strokes. So there was actually, um, at, at 36, you didn't make the cut. You made a playoff. Um, so there was a two, two person playoff at 36 to make the cut. We did review scores. Jeff Feinberg actually did shoot a 37. Jeff Feinberg would have made the cut if he didn't hole number 17 is a hole in one hole, pure and simple. Like 75% of people are going to hit a hole in one. It is the easiest putt on course, but if you miss it, you have the same putt over again because the ball comes all the way back down and he forward that instead of a one. And he struggled with practicing that all week. If he hit a hole in one there, he actually would have made the cut. That was the, by. F- I thought I was going to beat Jeff by probably six strokes that day. When I, you know, when we first got out there practicing in the morning, he played a great round, but I missed ultimately by three strokes uh, and Jeff missed by one. Andy Molitor missed by, I believe, 18 strokes. Molitor was not good. <laughs> Johnny, the final so, first round, I got to just say this for Johnny because he didn't end up seeing it. The final first round score, Andy was like 13 strokes behind the next closest guy. It, but, but this he should have withdrawn. He <laughs> had to withdraw so he that he gone scored hammy, and chill. Pulled hammy. So Andy, Andy had one less day. He came in the day before the tournament, right? And this is like, it just goes to show, I don't think Andy's necessarily, a, I don't think he's a great putter. Sorry, Andy, apologies. But like, I don't think he's a terrible putter either. He's not just a- Buddy, don't say he's a, don't say he's not a terrible putter. He literally played, a, he was a terrible putter. We very, could say it Very, happens. very risky, but he- he you was know, stepping up and just hammering everything down without aiming and without even getting the speed. He, he if that's not a terrible putter, then I don't know what we're saying. He, he does. He has. He had. I mean, he had no notes or anything like that. He had no idea where to even aim on all these holes. Like, and if you don't know that, this is exactly the score you're going to get. Like, you just have no hope. If if you walk off the street and play that course on, on midday. You're, you're shooting like 10 over on your first time, at least. And he shot 18 over or whatever, but like, that's what it's going to be. It's, it's, Fair just, enough. it's just really hard. Uh, but you know what the, what the most interesting thing for me, and sorry, I'm just bouncing all over the place here, but there was other influencers out there. Okay. So, so me, Jeff and Andy were there and there was, I believe three others and they set up shop and the bleachers at the fourth hole. Okay. Yeah. With, a, going nuts. with buckets of beers and like, literally turned it into like the waste management open basically the reactions to the actual players on tour were such a wide range of like literally one golfer hits drains a hole in one turns around and goes and chugs a beer with them at the same time (laughs) versus other people who get up to the hole and they're like 
get these people off the course. This is a disgrace. Like I, the reactions were amazing on that hole, like high fives, whatever. But they, they bet over two and a half hole in ones, I think on that hole. So they parked themselves there and they were rooting for a hole in ones. I thought it was hilarious, but my God, it was so loud. No matter where you were on the course, you could hear that hole. And like, it was very, very mixed reactions. And it turned into a serious talking point after the tournament. Like in the clubhouse, there was like debates happening of like, should this be allowed? And one guy's like, you guys want to grow the sport. This is how we grow the sport, this and that. And and then like uh, someone else is like, no, this is a disgrace. It was like basically watching Shooter McGavin that's and, Doug and, from Happy Gilmore. Exactly. It was exactly like that. The ratings are through the roof. <laughs> We're here to play golf, not a rock concert. It's, it was exact. I'm not going to name names of who, because I don't want to put it out there. But it was, it was so funny because there was a reaction from everyone that was out there at some point or another. And it was very mixed. It was like a full meeting after the fact about like what's going to happen with the, you know, should there be bleachers? Should there be fans allowed on the course and whatever? And uh, I thought it was fun. It was a blast. Yeah, so, so we, we had talked Feinberg. on our... Oh, sorry, Johnny. I was just going to say, I was waiting to see if Feinberg made the cut. And the first time I realized that that was what was going on was they cut to the camera there. And it was Feinberg sitting on the bench with a bucket of beers and his <laughs> hand in the bucket. And I was like, okay, this guy very clearly did not make the cut. <laughs> so, Rob, me and you had said that if you... Because I said I could make the cut. And obviously, your boy Joey Graybeal said, no chance this guy's making the cut. You went, you missed the cup by three strokes. So I, I think what's only fair is you and I, we go out to Putting Edge, the local mini putt course. <laughs> and if I beat you by three strokes or more, then that that I would have made the cut. We, we got we got to have something like that. You agreed? Let's do it. I will happily do that regardless. I will say, and I, I, we'll, we'll do this. I'm, I'm going to get it done. I, I love, I love put, putting and mini golf in general. This is so much different than we're used to. You're, because you're literally putting on glass. Like this is the best way I can put it. When when the when the carp, it sounds so. I like I know how lame this sounds, people. I get it. But when the carpet is warm from the sun, you cannot get the ball to stop. It just rolls out and rolls out and roll. It's it's so much different. But I will happily do that. I'd love to do that. I love putting edge. It's a little cheap, gimmicky, glow-in-the-dark place or whatever. But if you know hey, the course, the you have an edge. It's the best we got. It's the best we got. And So uh, if I beat Rob by three strokes at putting edge, then we can infer I may have made the cut. And again, I know it's a different course completely, but that's the best we got right now. I would say, like, I didn't... I, I would have taken a, a, a 39 in the morning. Like, when I showed up to the course, I was practicing that morning. If you said, Rob, I'll give you a 39 on your scorecard, I was taking it. But the way that the round went, I didn't really play my best. I lipped out, I think, on number two and number four for holes in one. At least a couple holes in the first five, which honestly already had me rattled. So, like, those are holes where it would have been really nice to get one of those hole in ones. If I had gone one, two, ace, ace, I'm in great, great shape. So, I'm already rattled by that. And then, I I hope Jeff Feinberg listens to this afterwards. But, like, Jeff was hitting some of the worst putts imaginable. And he like got an ace out of one of them. He got a great bounce. And I was getting even more rattled because I wanted to beat him so bad. So like by the time we got to the back nine and I hit one bad putt, and funny enough, I have to take ownership for this. I played one putt left-handed 
it was probably the worst putt of the day. I practiced that left-handed all week. That hole through the cave, I had it so down and was just nailing two after two, sometimes hole in ones in practice. And then I hit that putt too hard, hit the cave wall, bounced back. And that was the worst putt of the day. And it was left-handed. And that was the reason I took the two-sided putter as well. So that, I unraveled, completely unraveled after that putt. Because I'm thinking, I'm like, oh my God. Like I told these guys, this is my edge to be able to hit left-handed on this hole. I hit the worst tee shot of anyone. And it just went off the rails, off the rails. No good. So um, great recap on the World Putting League. We'll do this putting edge. We'll up, uh, update the listeners here. I know we have another segment for uh, for today. Yes. So I'm noticing a lot, and you probably see the same thing, Johnny. We're in playoff season for the NHL and the NBA. And I can speak from experience because I used to bet playoffs, and I used to bet them horribly, right? Like NBA zigzag, right? Used to be the big thing until it was like not the big thing anymore because the market just corrected to that. NHL, I used to look at a line and be like, oh, like these teams closed and Team X was plus 120 last game and now they're plus 140 a game later. Huge value on that side. And I I go through gambling Twitter now and I see kind of the same mistakes that I used to personally make. If I go back and search old tweets about playoff betting, for sure, I've made all these mistakes. But I wanted to just spend five minutes or so just to talk about playoff betting and how it differs from regular season because it's not the same thing. It's completely different Um, in the format of the games, obviously, um, the way that they're officiated, home court, home ice, home field, series effects, all these things that people need to account for that they don't account for and they just think that, oh, the huge value on this team because this was the line last game and it's the same lineups this game. Well, you have to account for the previous games in a series as well. So if one team is obliterating another, then they're going to be priced accordingly for the next games. You're getting new data points that weren't there from the beginning of the series. But in particular in sports, there is such thing as series effects. And I'm not going to give people like the numbers specifically or whatever, but there are certain situations where one team gets a bump based off of how the series has gone so far. And I'll just throw out something random out there. There's nothing actually to this, but just as an example, a team down 2 nothing, returning home in some sports will get a bump in that third game. And... You can, you can be like, what's the theory behind this? You, you might be dealing with small samples. We are dealing with small samples in the playoffs. But from a logical perspective, there's one team that they have a little bit more to play for at that point. Like the back's against the wall, and it actually means something in sports. It's not something you can just completely dismiss. So don't forget about that. You know, there, you look at prices, you can't just compare prices from game to game. Or like say, oh, this is crazy. Devils and Rangers, go look at their regular season matchups. The Rangers were never favored by this much in a game. It's like, because it's not the regular season. It's different. The players on the team are different. The way the series is unraveling is different. The score in the series matters. You know, same thing happens with totals. People are like, oh, 
you know, the totals are, they're being adjusted down. I'm playing the over. It's like, well, they're being adjusted down in hockey playoffs because as a series goes on, there's less penalty. There's less power plays. Refs tend to swallow the whistle. That's something you can, you can plot over a 20 year sample. And you'll notice that as a series goes on, the amount of power plays goes down. That's why the totals go down. So you can't just approach sports like especially if it's a different type of season, it's the same way that you would never treat the regular season the same as it's the preseason in a sport because it's different. The games are more meaningful in the regular season. They're more meaningful in the playoffs. There's all sorts of things you have to account for. So don't make that mistake. And I, I did definitely want to talk about that. I'm not sure if you see the same type of stuff, Johnny, in the NBA or anything like that. I'm not a huge NBA better myself, but I think people just fall into that that's, that trap of like, thinking it's the exact same sport and the game is fundamentally different. Well, I got a couple questions more for you, to be honest here. So, you know, pre-series, you might be able to infer, all right, this is the price for game one. Here's what I think this price will be in, you know, game three and four when this team's now flipped and they're on the road instead of at home. If you were to map out a series, pre-series, using what you thought would be the same price, do you think that's a way to beat the series market? I know they will change throughout, but that might be the best indicator of what you have. What do you think there? So here, here's, I think, a fundamental problem. So a lot of, I see a lot of people post their series prices, right? At the beginning, here's what I think X team is against Y team. And they just assume that, let's just, let's just use Toronto and Tampa Bay in the NHL as an example. Toronto's the, the home team in the series. Game one, two, five, and seven would be played in Toronto. And when people of course. Are, are pricing things out before the series, a lot of people just lump in the exact same win expectancy for all of those games. Leafs are, are 61% to win game one, two, five, seven, all the home games. And they do the same thing for the other way around. This is going to be their price on the road. That's wrong. That's not the right way to do it. Plain and simple. First and foremost, depending on how those first that first game goes, it's going to have an impact on the second game's price. So you have, if you're going to simulate that out, you have to- Time out here though, time out here. Yeah. Don't we, the, I know that the game will have an impact. Like obviously the game will have an impact, but at that time, is that not the best info that we have? It, it could be, but so here's another example, right? Home ice in game seven is worth ho- less than home ice in game one. So you would never have- like there's going to even not knowing what happened in the previous games, it's not going to be the same price there as the series goes on home ice becomes worth less and less and less in the playoffs. And like that, that you can account for beforehand, no matter what. But if a team is extremely likely to win the first game and by virtue of winning the first game, they're actually going to be priced higher in the second game. You should be accounting for that at the beginning of the series, rather than just assuming that it's going to be the same price all the way throughout. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. And another thing, obviously, being the difference in home ice between game one and two, given the travel factors for the road team, things like this. But at the same time, I mean, I, I do still think there is something to pricing out all the games beforehand. And, and just as long as you're not taking the exact same price for every game, which obviously is a mistake, I think you can still try to price out the series based on what you think the games will, will be priced at. Um, and obviously the game one spread or money line for NHL, for example, is a massive, massive way to actually look at what the series price is going to be. However, 
I agree with you. Like if you just gave me, Hey, this is the game one price. And then this is the series price. Those are definitely not the same numbers. And also, you know, you can't just derive it from the game one price. There has to be a lot more that goes into it. For sure. And, the, and you know, really the second big thing that I see as a major issue amongst betters in the space is in the playoffs, getting attached to and glued to certain teams. So I'll give you an example, right? I bet the Winnipeg Jets to beat the Vegas Golden Knights in round one of the playoffs. They won game one. They lost game two. In the process, Winnipeg has had a bunch of players that have gotten injured over the course of the series. Josh Morrissey, top defenseman, Mark Shifley, Nikolai Ehlers, who was supposed to be back in the lineup, never came back into the lineup. And it's okay to change your opinion based off of new information. You should actually do this in sports betting. You do not have to stick to your... Like, sure, I said Winnipeg was going to win the series. I liked them. Like, for, uh, I actually thought Vegas would win 55% of the time, but I thought there was value on Winnipeg. But that changes as the series goes on. And you can react to new information. And there's like a, a stubbornness for some reason in the sports betting space where it's okay to, to, to shift that based off of what you've seen. You can watch a couple games in the series and be like, ah, you know, I think maybe my pre-series prediction was wrong. NBA, NHL, whatever. And pivot that. And don't get stuck or rooted in that outcome. Like you can get off that position. You could bet the opposite side. There's updated adjusted series prices all the time. React to that new info. That's extremely helpful for you. You know, I see people go down the same path of like, I bet this team to win the series. And then they bet them like six out of seven games in the series. And they just do it out of force of habit because they're stuck on that pre-series prediction. And like, that's one of the biggest mistakes you can make in sports betting is not adapting to new new information or not using new information to your advantage. So that's the second big thing I see in the space. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think, so there's two, like one game sample size is obviously not a lot, but at the same time, it's not nothing. So the two extremes are typically wrong there. If someone says like, oh, it's one game, it doesn't matter. It does matter because those teams just played. So now you have a little bit more information. But at the same time, this doesn't shift the price of the next game. You know, regardless of the outcome, it could be a 10 nothing game. And the, the line is not going to now all of a sudden have a team that was minus 160 that lost 10 nothing. Now it'll be plus 200. It doesn't work like that. But at the same time, one game still is important. Um, you look at like Tampa Bay versus the Leafs, which, you know, game one, Toronto got absolutely shelled. And game two opened up was, you know, pretty much the exact same price as game one. And what happened, you know, Toronto won. Not not to say that um, you should be looking at one game and then making like a massive adjustment based on that, but you do need to actually still factor it in because like you have the exact two teams that just played each other. It's it's going to be a factor. So just as a, an actual real life example, I bet the Dallas Stars in their first round series against Minnesota, average price of like minus 140 in and around that range. I thought a pretty good price on Dallas. Game one, Joel Pavelski gets injured. To me, a massive, massive injury for the Dallas Stars. I ended up betting the Minnesota Wild game two, three, and four. I, you know, it is what it is. It's not about whether I win or lose, but stuff happens over the course of the series. And of course, the market knows that Pavelski is injured, but I'm taking a stance on it might be worth more than people realize. 
or whatever, right? Or I think I just bet them in game three and four, not the Marc-Andre Fleury start. But regardless, that stuff happens. So be adaptable in sports betting. You don't have to be rigid. I think the biggest mistake for people is that they just get rooted in like their 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 prediction. Like people put so much stock into predictions, right? Like this is sports betting. It's about wins and losses and making money. You, you can't get rooted in stuff. Like you have to be open-minded and be willing to admit to yourself at some point, maybe I mispriced this. Maybe I was wrong about this. Maybe this injury or whatever has a much bigger impact than people believe it does, whatever. But I think that's just ultimately um, something like don't pigeon your hole yourself into, I bet this team pre-series and now I'm just stuck to that because there's a lot of ways to get out of that or to make money on the other side if the information um, presents itself. Yep, great advice. Uh, Producer Zach, hit it. I don't know what we're yelling about! I've never seen you, man. I get paved. Why are you in such a bad mood? What do you care? It's only a game. Why do you have to be mad? It's been a while since we've done a Tweets That Trigger Us segment. Fitting that we do one before we reach episode number 100. It's episode number 99. This one comes courtesy of Ben Carey, who you might know has had some appearances on the Hammer Betting Network. Ben Carey of Capwise, and he embedded a tweet here. Uh, of a TikTok video, which uh, I think everyone's going to have to to watch and, and listen to this one. It's not his tweet, to clarify. He, Correct. Yes. <laughs> We're not ripping Ben. Ben's a good dude. Yeah. But this one, we, we let, let's hit it, Zach. There's a reason why baseball is the most profitable sport to bet on. Let me let you in on a secret. The public doesn't understand baseball. No one pays attention to the pitching matchups. The public generally just sees, oh, it's a good team versus a bad team. Let me pick this. They don't understand how pitching matchups affect baseball. And they also don't understand the bullpen and how the bullpen matches up against opponents. But Vegas knows this, but the public doesn't. They mess up the lines. So you can win so much on baseball. Currently, I'm 23-9 and nine through my picks on SoBet. Unreal the numbers and the money that baseball is bringing in for me. What what money is baseball bringing in for for her? Where's where? Who is letting this this female bet? How old do we think this this young woman is? That that was something else, man. That video was actually something else. So I'm assuming she's old enough to actually bet if she's putting out betting content. I would hope but, so. But wow, is that just? I mean, who? You, there's listed pitchers in baseball. It says it right under the bet who the pitching is. And also, they play a three-game series, usually. So you will literally just have to bet for only two days to realize that the pricing is different between games. Yeah, exactly. Like, if no one paid attention to what the pitchers were, then the prices would just always be the same for every game between two teams in a series. But they're clearly not. On top of that, like, you can't just list off everything that happens in baseball and say, like, People don't know how to account for this. Oh, they don't know how to account for the pitchers. They don't know how to account for the bullpens against the opponents. It's like, well, I mean, like people do that. They, they literally everyone who's handicapping baseball does that. I, uh, I, I always wonder with stuff like this, Johnny, if, first of all, if I was like 15 years old, I don't know how old this girl is. If I was like 15 years old and like my, 
in my lifetime, if TikTok existed at that point, I would be putting out th- these, these kinds of videos just like this. And there would be people that are older than me that would be like, obviously this is wrong. Or people that bet baseball and be like, this is nonsense. But to some other person that's young out there that has like no exposure to betting, do you think they actually watch this and like a light bulb goes off in their head and they're like, oh, you know, maybe the, the Vegas knows something, the public doesn't, maybe I just need to look at the pictures. Like, could someone actually take this advice? Like, do you think- But so- it, it just makes no sense. There's no advice to be had. Her, she's basically saying this, people betting this are not factoring in the pictures, but Vegas knows this. So Vegas is factoring this in, meaning how are you making money off this then? It just, it doesn't make sense. There's no, there's no information in there. Also, what money- Bro, the money that baseball is bringing in for her is speaking for itself right now. 20, She's bringing in a lot of nine. money. Twenty three and nine, man. How are you gonna argue with that? Nine. I know twenty three and nine. Wow. And w- without even a, a shred of a doubt, we don't know if it's minus two hundreds, minus one tens, a couple dogs mixed in. Just twenty three and nine, straight up. For people that don't know, you can go twenty three and nine betting on baseball and still lose money. Like this twenty three and nine doesn't mean anything unless you know what the ROI or the plus minus is in terms of total units uh, attached to it. But wow, man, I, I one of these comes out like once every couple months. That just makes me, you know, yeah, just, that one's no good. It just that makes, one is no good. Look, Zach went on that epic run, last, epic rant last time on that guy he hates. Holy, I was listening to that one back. Well, I don't know if you Zach know though. Snapped on that guy. That guy lo- now lives in a penthouse, two million dollars, two million dollar penthouse. Miami. In the span of like one week, he's gone from the his what? What did he buy a Jeep? Uh, uh, Rubicon. A Jeep, Rubicon. A Jeep, a Jeep Rubicon. <laughs> and now he's in a penthouse suite in Miami, two million dollar penthouse suite. Man, that guy yeah. is on and the up and up. Throwing hundred dollar bills off his balcony, man. Yes, hundred dollar bills. Also, those are the Johnny, not, the, the the yeah yeah the yeah. Johnny hundred dollar bills right there. Not Johnny from Betstamp. Yeah. Uh, Gianni, you know who I'm talking about. Gianni the Greek. Yeah. Also, uh, on account of that guy, Zach and I no longer have a girlfriend, and Rob no longer has a wife. So that also is another yeah. thing. He he's pulled up in his Rubicon. <laughs> And I'm single fuck, anyways, man. but if I wanted one, like I would have had no shot. Rubicon, two million dollar <laughs> Miami penthouse, gone. Thanks. If you're throwing hundreds gone. out the window, you just, you you must be doing something right. Must be. I didn't something. even notice it last time, but his video said I made six point four k from sports betting last two days, and then the writing on the screen said actually now up to eight point three yeah. over yeah, three yeah, days. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he put it in like didn't even bother recording another video, bro. Just record another video. Oh man, that was great, man. Anyways, Zach, epic rant last week on that on that guy. Yeah, you hate that guy. Yeah, I do, man. I do hate. That. I despise that <laughs> because, like, the thing is, I just don't want other people to see this and be like, "Oh man, like I'm gonna be living in a two million dollar penthouse." Like, no, you're not. This kid's this kid's lying to you. He's lying about everything that he's doing, and other people are gonna be like, "Like what Rob's saying." Do you think people take this? Yeah, they do. Johnny, you sent me a video. You were like, look at this kid's... And you sent me another tweet. And I was like, fuck, fuck, Johnny. Why are you sending me this shit? And then I go and watch the video. And then I look at the comments. And someone's like, you obviously don't have this money, bro. And then people are in the comments are defending him being yeah. like, yeah, he does. Look at his life, bro. He's You're just jealous. I'm like... <laughs> God, they're like, no. you're just, they're, they're like, they're like, you're just jealous. If you didn't win that money, how do you get that Rubicon? <laughs> <laughs> oh. 
You know what? It's, I, I, I know exactly how you feel, Zach. I, I think like a lot of times the criticisms that I get, and this is fair, like I'm not saying it's unfair, but people are like, Rob's a really negative person, right? If, if you recall a couple years ago, I tried to start like a positive Rob movement that lasted maybe a month at tops. <laughs> and then I was like, no, but I, I cannot help myself when I see stuff like that. And people are like, why does it bother you? I can't really explain it other than just it does. Like I, it, it, re- and I'm sure other people are in the same boat, but there's certain people yeah. that just like everything, the, the, it's the fakeness that really gets to me. And I, I cannot deal with people pretending to be something that they're not. That drives but me. I told you guys, it happens in every single industry. I it know, doesn't just happen right. in sports. It happens in every single yep. industry. There's a guy, there's going to be guys and girls that do the whole, you want to get a six pack? by next monday yeah. by this program <laughs> yeah and you'll do it and like that's just how it is and that's that's basically this dude is like i'm rich from sports betting don't stop when you have five winning days in a row don't st- you got to be the best in the gym and then why not make it six in a row the kid he doesn't he doesn't lose though that's that's the thing about him. it he hasn't good. lost i just don't understand <laughs> how he has it. time to do all this yeah. I mean, but just join his Discord, Taylor's picks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You want to get rich? Should I do it? Should you I use, join his Discord? Find join out. his Discord, buy his picks, and then you can finally upgrade to that Rubicon you wanted. Yeah, yeah. and I'll start stealing all your girls. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I just exactly. Yeah, it's he's. Oh God, I, that guy. He he does get on my nerves as well. Bro, if we can get that kid on the podcast, I would love it. I wouldn't even chirp him. I'll honestly be like. I just want to get that guy on the pod. Look, I, I definitely went a little harsh. And like to our listeners, my bad. To that kid, I stand by what I said. We'll have to get him on spare at school or in the summer. <laughs> wow. But actually, let's get that. Let's see if we can get that guy on. I'll Love see what I can do. We'll, see like, we'll try. His, we'll try. Go through his process and stuff. I, I won't even laugh at him. I'm not going to make fun of him. Like, Zach, you give him a shot. I mean, we did try to yeah, get try. we did try to get Simon Hunter on the pod before, but... Uh, Unfortunately, he saw the YouTube thumbnail of uh, Pro Better Exposed or whatever it was, and he wasn't too keen on it. So let's try to get him on before uh, we actually send out the, the yeah. thumbnails. Yeah, that's yeah. that might be the pro move this time. Well. What else we got here for right. uh, tweets that trigger us? Number two. Okay, so speak. Speaking of, honestly, uh, okay, this is this tweet comes from Danny K seven thirty one. What are you laughing about? I just realized like what we just talked about and what we're. I know. Yeah. I know. It, it's all. It all. It wasn't even intentional. I forgot that this was even in here. Yeah. Uh, okay. Quotes. Looks like I'm gonna lose six figures on Stroud not going number one. Sixty seconds later, there's a reason sportsbooks don't take large bets on the draft. At Rob Pozzola, could you help me spot the one truth and one lie from this podcast? Hashtag tweets that trigger us. Okay. Danny DM'd me with more specifics on this because this is more, you know, if you saw this, you'd have no idea what it's referring to. This is referring to an episode of the Favorites podcast with Chad Millman and Simon Hunter. And we'll play the clip now. Simon, right now, the biggest, the biggest conversation in the draft, Bryce Young or CJ Stroud, give me your take. We talked about this on our daily show, Green Dot Daily. Give me your take on what's happening at the top of the draft board right now with those two players. Well, Chad, looks like I'm about to lose six figures uh, by the looks of it. Looks like Bryce Young is the guy. I've talked to a lot of people. 
a lot of really smart pros. They're just, I think they're not, not, not that just following along with what's going on, but two weeks ago, Mortensen, who works for ESPN, put out a mock draft where he had uh, Bryce Young going one to Carolina. And say we had heard a couple people say that stuff. This was the first really big name on a big platform like ESPN putting that out there. And what did we see? The next morning, Bryce Young was, I think, minus 125. And then CJ was plus, say, 150 to be their first pick. Now, fast forward two weeks later, Bryce Young chat is minus 1,000 to be the first pick overall. And CJ isn't even favored anymore to be the second pick. I mean, we just saw Will Levis and another book just moved him to be the favorite to be the second pick. It's madness. So we talk all the time, Chad. This is there's a reason books don't take big money on the draft, right? Okay. So in that clip, you can hear. I mean, at least at least Simon is willing to admit that he's going to lose six figures on Stroud not going number one. I have not ever heard of somebody weeks before the draft being able to get six figures down on the first overall pick. I mean, this already sent off like the bullshit Spidey Sense radar immediately. But then on top of that, 30 seconds later, he comes full circle and talks about there's a reason that sportsbooks don't let you get down big bets on the draft. So you can't do this in the span of one minute. And I'm sorry, this is going to come across as weird. Wait, before we, before we, we bury it, I have a defense for Mr. Hunter. Oh, go for All it. Right? I want to hear it. Okay, there is a scenario in which this is both true, okay? There's basically only one scenario here. And this is that somebody either, uh, like, you know, maybe a pro group or something, had a really big opinion that Stroud was not going to go first overall. And Simon was like, Stroud's going to go first overall. Yep. And then they crossed the action there. So just like, you know, a friendly bet, no vig, no booking, anything like that. And in that case, it is quite possible that Simon Hunter had 100K on CJ Stroud to go one overall. And that he could also say that sportsbooks don't take big limits to the draft. That is the only explanation. Very valid. I'll follow that up by saying I've crossed paths with a lot of pro groups in North America, worldwide, I would say, betting on sports. You probably have as well, Johnny. I've never heard of anyone, no one that in my circle or people that I deal with have ever dealt with Simon Hunter in any capacity on anything. Well, we don't know that it's not possible. I'm just saying, I'm giving out a contrarian point of view here and I'm saying, in theory, that is possible, and these both could be true. Now, do I think that that's true? Probably not, but that's the way it would be done, just for the listeners. You are correct. That is absolutely entirely possible. So what Johnny said Also, if somebody came to a pro group three weeks ago and said, hey, I want 100K on CJ Stroud to go one overall, they probably would have took it. Also, though, like, okay, if you did put 100K on CJ Stroud going, let's let's say you were betting this with a sports book or you were going to someone else looking for this type of bet, I would say that this information would very, very likely have leaked into market and Stroud would have been an overwhelming favorite like Bryce Young is. Because if somebody is going and looking for $100,000 bets on a quarterback to go first overall, 
anyone who is going to be booking that or even like, let's say cross booking that vig free or whatever is probably going to ask themselves like this or say to themselves, this guy must know something and then just go embed it somewhere else. Like that's the most likely scenario, is it not? Unless, and again, now here I go full circle again, trying to go back. I was defending Simon. Now I'll be on the other end. Unless, of course, he has done this before and lost every time. In which case, they're like, you know what? This guy's not going to win. I'll take that. I'll take that bet. And then you go ahead and and cross that with him for down one overall. I'm just saying it's possible. I don't think it's likely. I'm floating out a scenario. That way, at least it's known that this could happen in the space. Also, another thing to note is like if you had a VIP, you know, sports yes. book, whatever, you still wouldn't be able to get that down. That's what I'm trying to say. Exactly. And so like a hundred thousand for a draft can only be done via like either a massive PPH, which probably wouldn't make the case, or like another pro group. But that's it. And remember, there's only two ways. Th- this podcast episode's weeks before the draft as well. This is like lower, lower lip. It's very I can tell you as somebody who tried to get down as much as humanly possible on Bryce Young. I won't say the exact amount that I did first overall, but it's nowhere close to 100,000. And that's leveraging my entire network of people, like my entire network. So I'm going to call BS on that. If not, and this tr- turns out to be real, I think I might need to get Simon Hunter as a mover for next year's draft because like, that's amazing bet size if it really is. But I, I just don't think that it's, in all likelihood, I don't think that that's, uh, that's what went down. And for people who don't know what like the cross-booking thing is, it, uh, like just explain it very easily here, but it would be like me going to Johnny and saying, Johnny, I think CJ Stroud is going first overall. And he would be like, no, I don't think it's happening. And we are just basically making a bet with one another so that the sports book doesn't take a VIG. And that's all that we're saying. So maybe there is someone out there who just is taking Simon's bets that, that says, you know what? And, and by the way, ask yourself why you would take a $100,000 bet on a quarterback going first overall. Um, and the reason would be that you just, you think the other party is not very good at betting would be the obvious answer. Yeah. That well, well, we will see. We will see what ended up happening, but um, yeah, that's probably the only way to do it. I'm not sure. Sure, it's even the tweets that trigger us, but no, um, it, it obviously twenty tw- good, good topic. It, it, Took it a turn. It, it triggered this guy. So, and then he DM'd me, and he was like, "You know, this is where it came from," and I listened, and it did trigger me. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna <laughs> lie to you, but but Simon is like. Um, He's like the Jeep Rubicon guy for me. Like he's, he's my Jeep Rubicon guy. I don't care how petty it is. Again, what, what bothers me is when people misrepresent themselves. That's all I'm going to say. I hate that. I hate it. I hate it. And uh, we'll, leave it at, we'll leave it at that. So it was a tweet that, that also triggered me. Okay. Well, that's all we have for today. For next week, we have a great guest. Episode number 100 is next week. So uh, for those of you, thanks uh, for tuning in, for listening. Please like and subscribe. We appreciate you. See you all next week.